Hey guys, are you a bearded fellow like myself? Then you know the struggle is real. But Boss Man Brand can help you out. The founder of Boss Man Brand, Stephen Condon, is well known for his competition-worthy beard. During the beginning of his bearded journey, he noticed his thick beard started getting a bit out of whack and a bit unmanageable. After researching and testing many beard brands on his own beard, he realized most beard oils were almost identical and just weren't thick enough to hydrate his beard without dehydrating his wallet. So Stephen took matters into his own hands and created the world's first jelly beard oil. Their flagship product was specifically created to be twice as thick as standard beard oils, so it'll bind to your beard hair better and last longer. And all of Boss Man Beard products are all natural. They're made with all natural and responsibly sourced ingredients. Each batch is tested by the Boss Man to ensure quality for every customer. Hey, you order something off their site and you don't like it? Guess what? They'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's right, they put the customer first. They have all your beard care products and needs right in one location. We're men. We smell like men. There's no reason your beard shouldn't either. And Boss Man, they've got you covered. Try the original Magic Scent, which is vanilla, sandalwood, bergamot, frankincense, and patchouli, when your beard needs to be as smooth as you are. Or try my personal favorite, Stagecoach, fine leather, sweet tobacco, and aged bourbon. Whatever you choose, you can't go wrong. Check out the show notes below. Click the Boss Man link and use the code FIRST10 at checkout to receive your first 10% off. That's FIRST10, F-I-R-S-T-1-0. Receive 10% off today. Now, there's no reason why you can't check out the best in the business. Check out Boss Man today. Now, on to the show. I headed for the west and I left in the pouring rain. Made it to the mountains to find out that everything is the same. But ain't the same. Tennessee devil came along to melt my heart If I wasn't so damn busy I'd be looking for a place to start A place to start So if you're driving for a while And you're pulling just a bit to the right And you're dreading all the you have to make it through in the night Find your friend downtown She'll be around Take a heavy load Let the whistle blow With the Tennessee devil tonight Either acting out of 
going just a bit to the right And you're dreading all the miles that you have to make it through in the night Find your friend downtown She'll be around Take a heavy load Let the whistle blow With the Tennessee Devil tonight Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah, and as always, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard just then, that was the band Feeding Leroy with their song, Tennessee Devil. I really appreciate those guys allowing me to play that right here on the show for y'all. Alright, and if you head on over to their website, FeedingLeroy.com, in the About section, this is what I find about the band. It says, Feeding Leroy began as a duo when Lee Martin and Sonia Bjordel, I apologize if I got that wrong, they started performing together in Park City, Utah. They had a weekly gig throughout uh, One Fatal Summer and decided they had found what they were meant to do. The two took their show back home to Duluth, Minnesota on the shores of Lake Superior where they have been performing regularly ever since. They took on a few more band members, recorded an album, had a couple name changes, but it has all led them to become Feeding Leroy. Feeding Leroy came out of the collaboration of Sonya and Lee's original songs, blending into a unique project, with their songwriting and vocal harmonies as the focus of this band's sound. It's kind of a family affair now with Brother Luke stepping in on the harmonica and longtime friend and bassist Adam Stop on the upright bass. I apologize, Adam, if I got your name wrong. Uh, both adding their vocal harmonies, creating somewhat of a gospel undertone that acts as its own instrument in the band. You can find this foursome around the twin ports of Duluth, Minnesota and Superior, Wisconsin. But they have also recently taken to the open road, bringing this up north sound to new cities across the nation. It's country music at its core. It's fun. It's original. It's Feeding Leroy. I really enjoyed that little segment there. I really enjoyed that song. Um, and it kind of goes along with the day's, uh, you know, what we're talking about today on today's show. So kind of like it. But I give uh, huge props to the, those guys. They sound great. So, and they re- did a really awesome job with that song, uh, which they have tons of great stuff, guys. Go check them out. Uh, follow them on Spotify. Uh, so once again, Feeding Leroy, and that was their song, Tennessee Devil. Check out the website, feedingleroy.com. Check them out on Instagram at feeding underscore Leroy, and also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash feedingleroy. Thank you guys once again. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move on into our next segment for the show. It is the spooky season after all, right? And what goes better with the spooky season than a few spirits? Alright guys, I told you before, we're your Halloween go-to headquarters. That's why on today's show, we, or I, will be taste testing two of Southern Tier Brewing Company's pumpkin, pumpkin beers, pumpkin craft beers. Uh, so, what I have in front of me, the first one up for grabs is, is Pumpkin, Imperial Pumpkin Ale. And it is described on the bottle as pumpkin pie in a glass. Okay, so I'm going to head to their website. And let's see what it says here. So, it's good to be king, is what it says. It says, All Hallows Eve is a time of the year when spirits can make contact with the physical world. And when magic is most potent, it is thought that we harness this magic to brew our powerful pumpkin ale. Not so, but it is with great respect to the magic of their trade that our brewers produce this fine beer. Take a whiff of this complex ale, and your journey has just begun. At first sip, a magical spell will bewitch your taste buds, yet another victim enraptured by the pumpkin. Okay. It says uh, we have a 12-ounce bottle in front of us, and it is uh, 8.6 alcohol by volume. Uh, It's only available available August through October. Um, On their website, it is described as a deep copper color uh, fermentation. It says ale yeast, two varieties of hops, two varieties of malts, pumpkin and spices, the aroma is pumpkin, pie spices, buttery crust, vanilla, and roasted pecans. Wow. Flavor is malty sweetness, vanilla, clove, allspice, cinnamon, nutmeg, and pie crust. And bitterness is a moderate. Uh, is moderate. Body is medium to light. And uh, serving temperature is 42 degrees. Well, I promise you this is not 42 degrees. Uh, I'm gonna tell you that now, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're gonna try it and uh, we're gonna see how it goes. Let me go ahead and pop the old top there. See if I can catch this on mic. Oh, she's hissing at me. Okay, well, I have my little stellar uh, Edmonds Oast Brewing Company uh, glass here. Well, cheers to you too, sir. Chip, pip, pip, cheerio. Okay. Um, oh wow, that is a uh, that's very that's very pretty. It's a, it is a amber color. It is amber in color. That is that's it looks like pumpkin. So right off the nose, I'm not a craft beer connoisseur, guys. Um, I just know what I like to try. I'll put it that way. So what am I getting? I do smell some nutmeg and some cinnamon in there. It smells pretty good. Sorry for the heavy breathing. Hmm. And uh, she is uh, licking the sides of this glass pretty good. She's sticking pretty good to the side. So we're going to give that a little swirl. And we're going to 
It does smell good. It smells pumpkin-y, so we're going to give it a taste. Wow. Um, not much bite on the end, but uh, it's pumpkin-y. I, I like that. Um, <laughs> that is pretty good. It's, it, they hit, they hit it on the head. It is pumpkin pie in a glass. That's what I would have to definitely say it is. That's pretty good. I am impressed. Sorry for the smacking and all, guys. I apologize. But, uh, yeah, that is Southern Tier Brewing Company Pum King Imperial Pumpkin Ale. I enjoyed that very much. I probably would have enjoyed it better if I had actually served it cold. Uh, I have heard different things about craft beer and such that uh, maybe you don't need to serve it cold. Um, just a, something I heard at one time or another. There's no telling where that came from. But uh, maybe that was maybe that refers to stouts. I'm not sure. I've always heard that you know you can serve it cold, but you kind of got to let it heat up some to get more flavor out of it or something, something like that. So that's what we have there. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna sit back and talk about days from yonder past that's good stuff um I'm, I'm impressed I really am good job southern tier I like that and uh color as far as color goes um it does look like there's some slight carbonation in there as there is a little bit of bubble sticking to the side um that's good though I really enjoy that I mean I'm it's not like I'm, you know, searching for pumpkin beer right now or anything. It's just something I happened to find, and uh, I thought it would be cool to bring on the show. All right, so moving on to our next craft beer, pumpkin beer that I have here. It is another one by Southern Tier Brewing Company, and it is called Cold Brew Coffee Pumpkin Imperial Pumpkin. It says ale with natural pumpkin and coffee flavors. Uh, let's head over to their website and it says it, uh, da, 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 da. it is an imperial pumpkin ale with coffee meet cold brew coffee pumpkin the newest member of the pumpkin family settle in with smooth roasty cold brew coffee combined with pumpkin pie spice each sip provides a sense of comfort like a morning's first brewed batch of perfectly roasted coffee um, it says it has some food pairings here. It says brunch, uh, traditional Thanksgiving dinner, mm, seems appropriate, pumpkin pie, of course, roasted and smoked foods. And it goes on to say that it, it, this is another one that's 8.6 uh, alcohol by volume. It has a medium body, a deep dark copper, moderate bitterness. Uh, serving temp is 35 to 40 degrees. Once again, uh, not going to happen. Uh, da, 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 da. And it is available. It's available late August to autumn. Uh, it says fermentation. It's ale yeast, two types of malt, two types of hops, pumpkin, and light roast coffee. Aroma is roasty coffee, pumpkin, pie spices, buttery crust, vanilla, and roasted pecans. So it sounds like the other one, but it just uh, added the end of the coffee. And it says the flavor is smooth coffee flavor, nutty, cocoa, malty sweetness, vanilla, clove, allspice, cinnamon, nutmeg, and pie crust. So yeah, it sounds like it's just like the other one, but uh, just with some coffee added on. So 
We're gonna pop this one too. Ooh. Watch out, she'll bite you. Alright, so. We're gonna pour the other one. Oh, wow. Haven't even put it to my nose yet, and I can smell coffee. Wow, that smells. I, the glass is held away from me probably about, I don't know, foot and a half maybe. Uh, wow, that is. It smells like coffee in here. It smells like fresh brewed coffee. That is amazing. Let's go in for a sniff. Oh, wow. Definitely. Uh, uh, instant hit on the nose is coffee right off the bat. Uh, and, of course, it's followed up with some pumpkin. Uh, this one is it's similar in color. Um, it just it's like a hair darker. But other than that, this, mm, this smells lovely. This smells really good. All right, we're going in for our first taste. Wow. Guys, you knocked that one out of the park. Uh, immediate, I'm getting a, there's like a hint of pumpkin, uh, definitely getting the coffee, and I can definitely taste like a hint of vanilla in there. This is really good. Wow. On a blind taste test, that almost tastes like, I mean, I'm tasting like cream soda or Dr. Pepper. This has a Dr. Pepper effect to it. I know that sounds weird, but it's the creaminess that I'm tasting. And it, that is good. <laughs> it's got a, it's got a cream soda uh, quality about it. it. This is pretty good. I am enjoying this. Wow. Happy Halloween to me. This is actually pretty good. I bet it would be really good cold. I'm a oh, wow. Nobody loves hot beer. But this is good. Mm, that is lovely. I mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Wow. I like that. Like that a lot. All right, so guys, hands down, I like the second one better, the cold brew coffee one. There's more, I don't know, there's more body to it. I don't know these terms, but I, I don't know. It just, it tastes better to me. Uh, now, this is only available for a limited time. But also, if you can find those, pick them up, try them out. Uh, let's see, let's check out their website here. The, let's see. They also have... Oh, never knew. I never knew. Uh, they have pumpkin whiskey. I'm sorry, pumpkin whiskey. And I guess this is based on the uh, the beer, the craft beer that they got. And it says pumpkin whiskey is a spirited version of its namesake and a high proof addition to the royal family of pumpkin beers from Southern Tier. Uh, rich aromas of pie spice, buttery cream, and pie crust pumpkin whiskey culminates in sweetness among mild whiskey notes that flavored whiskey drinkers have come to expect and is perfect as a shot shooter cocktail or simply on the rocks of the many ways to enjoy it one thing is certain pumpkin whiskey is a treat among tricks that's clever and i like that that is pretty cool um let's see what else they got here 
Okay, we got the cold brew, and looks like they have a seasonal pumpkin nitro imperial pumpkin ale. King of pumpkin beers is now in cans and on nitro. It's basically the same beer, the first one that I just had, but it is, uh, it's it's got nitro to it, and I guess that's supposed to emulate it being on draft. Maybe I don't know. Uh, Pumpkin's magical spell will electrify your senses as you hear, see, smell, and taste Pumpkin Nitro. And also, there's one on here called Warlock. And it says, Warlock is an imperial stout with pumpkin and notes of pumpkin spice. Warlock is brewed to enchant your, enchant your palate on its own and also to counterpoint our imperial ale, Pumpkin. Make your own black magic by carefully pouring this imperial stout into a goblet dark and mysterious reanimate your senses with warlock's huge roasted malt character moderate carbonation and a spiced pumpkin pie aroma food pairing spicy barbecue man i could go for some barbecue right now smoked and roasted foods carrot cake or as a float with vanilla ice cream that would be really that would be something okay so anyway moving on uh I, <laughs> Those were cool. I enjoyed those. Those, those were great. Um, <laughs> if you're out and about, go check them out. Go pick them up. I loved it. Uh, you know, something fun. Just thought I'd do something a little bit different for you. I know I can be a little bit mundane sitting here just reading. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. But I hope you guys enjoyed that segment. Maybe there's something I can do more often. Um, I do actually, actually picked up a few more beers, uh, some more craft beers. Cause it is that I know craft beers are out all year long, but for me, craft beers come fall. I like, I like the fall, you know, um, I'm not a huge craft beer, uh, drinker connoisseur, but I mean, I, I do like to partake from time to time. And, uh, you know, the fall is the best time. I like to drink uh, my craft beers during the fall. I think that's great. And I think that's just lovely. So, but anyway, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and move on into the next part of the show. Okay, moving right on in to some spooky news. I want to make sure you guys have a good Halloween season. I love this time of year. And they're other than craft beers and, you know, of course, all the food and flair that come along with it there's nothing else better to better the <laughs> thank you pumpkin uh there's nothing else better to do than go check out a haunted house oh man i love a good haunted house so one that i've done a few times before uh I, i'm not sure if they had this one no i'm not 100 percent sure if they had this one last year or not uh because we actually went to a different one but on this one this is Boone Hall Fright Nights. And uh, Boone Hall Fright Nights, uh, they are starting it up this year. And normally they have four attractions, but this year it looks like they only have three. Um, and the first of which is Maximum Security. It says, step inside battered prison walls where darkened hallways and shadows loom to hide the evil that resides within. Escape is not an option. And by the way, you can go check out what I'm looking at right now at BoonHallFrightNights.com because I'm reading straight from their website. 
Uh, also, t- uh, the next one is Tiny's Toy Factory. This, uh, the maniacal ringmaster of fear is back. This is not your ordinary toy factory. Creepy, disturbing. Will you be ready when Tiny sins in the clowns? <laughs> and finally, last but not least, Scary Tales, the final chapter. It says, board your death carriage and descend deep into the woods. To combat beasts, demons, and barbaric creatures, surviving this final battle is not guaranteed. So, anyway, go check that out. I like I've I've been to Boone Hall Fright Nights a uh, few times now, and I've enjoyed it. I always have. Um, it's a little on the milder side, I would say, uh, but I enjoyed it. Uh, let's see. You have those three attractions, and then of course uh, tickets. Uh. And I know a lot of people are worried, well, how are you going to go into a haunted house with COVID and all that good stuff going on, or bad stuff going on? So, but they do have, they address this on their website, and for health and safety reasons, they are going to limit the number of tickets that will be sold for each night of this season, and they do caution you because of the popularity of the event, they are likely to sell out. So, advanced tickets are recommended, which means you need to go to their website boonhallfrightnights.com and buy your tickets. That's if you want to partake. Um, and you can also get what is known as a screen pass, which is $30 uh, for each screen pass. And that gets you one admission to each of the three attractions. So, and also it looks like... Uh, a VIP Faster to the Fear Pass is available for 50 bucks a piece, which basically is, you know, it's a line jumper, line hopper. And opening night for this year, October, I'm um, sorry, September 2020, is going to be Saturday the 26th. So you guys can go check that out. Boone Hall, if you don't know, that's, uh, that's on the, let's see. That's uh, I'll get it out here in a minute. Damn you, pumpkin! I'll get it out. Uh, but basically, it's right outside of Mount Pleasant, not far from there. Sound like an idiot. But anyway, it's right outside of uh, Mount Pleasant there, near Charleston. So I mean, I've always enjoyed it. And uh, hey, if you like, uh, if you want to, just some plans that I like to do and what we've done in the past is there's a brewery down there imagine that a brewery uh it's a brewery it's called uh frothy beard brewing and if you go down there they have a pizza place inside known as zombie bobs now i think the backstory on zombie bobs is that it actually used to be a food truck and with the overwhelming popularity of the pizza and such they actually uh offered him a spot within the brewery itself so you can go get you some cheese sticks uh deep dish pizza you know uh i think they have one uh a monster by the slice which is a huge slice of pizza for like six or seven bucks so you can get you a huge slice of pizza then go grab you some good craft beer local craft beer and from everything i've had of theirs is really good and so go get you a flight of beers Go get you a huge slice of pizza. And once you're done with that, go check you out a haunted house. Boone Hall Fright Nights, not far away. 
That is a great night. That's a good evening. I promise you, you will enjoy yourself. This one, uh, not saying I'm a huge, I am a huge supporter of haunted houses. However, I do have my limits. There are just some haunted houses I just won't go into. Okay. These ones that are coming out now, these extreme haunted houses where they're, they're going to gag me and choke me and all that. Nah, that's not happening. You're not putting a, no, why is there a piggly wiggly bag going over my head? That's not happening. Whose pantyhose are these? Why are they in my mouth? That's not happening. Sorry, guys. Not happening. I have my limits. And so anyway, something fun to do this, you know, this fall season. Wait for a good cool night closer to October, middle of October. Go get you some pizza. Go get you some locally sourced craft brew. And then head on over to Boone Hall. That is a great night. I promise you, we loved it. And you'll love it too. I promise you. Now, without further ado, and I apologize for my rambling. Sorry, not sorry. Now, it's time to pull up a chair, settle in, and cozy up for the Southern Spectre Podcast. Enjoy. Now the Delta has brought forth its fair share of blues artists and guitarists, but on today's show, we'll dive into the strange tales that surround the late great blues musician Robert Johnson. You see, most folks visualize the devil with red fiery skin, pointy red horns, bifurcated tail, and of course, his famous cape and pitchfork. But through today's episode, we'll learn it's not the details of the devil, but the devil in the details. This is the legend of Robert Johnson. What is referred to as the Mississippi Delta is in fact the Yazoo River Delta. This is in the eastern floodplain of the lower Mississippi River. At its widest, it's 60 miles wide. Elevation ranges from 205 feet above sea level to 80 feet above sea level, averaging 125 foot in height. Since around 1000 BC, Native Americans lived on this land that would become the Delta. Sometime between 1820 and 1832, white settlers made their way into the Delta after signing treaties with the Indians. Whites, along with black slaves, made great changes to the land, including planting cotton fields. That would eventually bring about landscape, ecology, and economic changes. The Delta cotton planters made up a dominating and elite social group. They reigned economically and politically for generations throughout the region. Now emancipation after the Civil War brought difficult changes to the Delta cotton planters. Most freed men saw the Delta as an opportunity with so much undeveloped land that could be profitable and productive once cleared. Freed slaves longed for land and political rights during Reconstruction. Timber and railroad companies soon made their way into the Delta. Timber companies cleared land for sale, and the railroads connected planters to new markets. 
Soon after the turn of the 20th century, the Delta and Pineland Company established itself as one of the world's largest cotton operations, which helped shape the economic status of this region. By 1910, 92% of Delta farms were ran by tenants, 95% of which were African Americans. Unfortunately, during these times, as the cotton planters flourished, African Americans grew more desperate. Due to declining economic futures, violence, and no power within the justice system, most African Americans left the area off in search of better living situations and brighter futures, mainly by way of the Illinois Central Railroad. Those African Americans that remained in the Delta produced a culture of their own. These people created a music that was derived from traditional labor songs and that expressed hardships for blacks. With a history and background rich in African music and borrowing folk traditions of white man's music, two musical cultures thrived and grew separately together, producing big-name blues artists like Charlie Patton, Sun House, Skip James, Sonny Boy Williamson, Howlin' Wolf, B.B. King, and Muddy Waters, there's no doubt this is the birthplace of the blues. The most potent blues musician to ever step out of the Delta was Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson was a blues guitarist, singer, and songwriter, and is recognized as a master of the blues. According to Sun House, Robert always wanted to be a blues musician as a young child, and although he was a decent harmonica player, he was exceptionally bad at guitar. Robert Johnson had up and seemingly vanished for quite some time, and upon his return, it seems that Johnson had miraculously learned to play the guitar in a supernatural way. Legend goes that Johnson had taken his guitar to a crossroads close to midnight, where he was met by a large black man, supposedly the devil. Now, in other variations of this tale, it was, in fact, the devil himself. The devil took Robert Johnson's guitar, tuned it, played a few songs, and then returned it to its owner, giving Johnson supernatural command over the instrument. Now, of course, this didn't come without a price. So Johnson traded his soul, and the devil would return to collect his pay. But to understand this legend... Let's travel back much further to the 1400s. Here, we meet Johann Faust, who was a German alchemist, astrologer, and magician in the time of the German Renaissance. There is a shroud of mystery that surrounds Faust, due to very little record of his existence. There is a record of Faust in the year 1506, where he appeared as a magician and astrologer of horoscopes in Gelnhausen. Although he was accused of being a fraud, he's been known to act as physician, philosopher, alchemist, and magician. Thus, he was denounced from the church. It's said he would boast about being able to reproduce the miracles of Christ. Faust's death is dated around 1540 to 1541, where he allegedly exploded himself in an alchemist experiment gone awry. His body was found mutilated, and legend says the devil had come to drag him to hell himself. 
A book was printed in 1587 about the sins of Faust and soon caught the attention of Christopher Marlowe. Marlowe used this book to write The Tragical History of Dr. Faustus. Now in this story, Faust makes a deal with the devil, trading his soul in exchange for 24 years of the devil doing his bidding. After living a life of pleasure and indulgence for 16 years, Faust wished to withdraw his deal with the devil, but the devil convinced him to renew it when he conjured up Helen of Troy. Helen and Faust bore a son together. After the 24 years, Satan came back to Faust and announced his death. At midnight, a loud noise could be heard coming from Faust's room, where the walls and floor were covered with blood and brains. Faust's eyes were lying on the floor and his body in the courtyard. Is this where the deal with the devil first came into existence, or was it something more? Now we'll travel into the future a few years to our next supposed victim of a deal with the devil. His name is Giuseppe Tartini. Born in 1692, Tartini took up playing the violin at the St. Francis Monastery. Legend has it that when Tartini heard Francesco Veracini's violin playing, he was so compelled with it that he hated his own skill so much that he locked himself away until he improved. Tartini grew strides in his ability to play that he soon gained the position of maestro at the Basilica di Sant'Antonio in Padua. He became so great at playing, in fact, in 1726 he began a violin school and attracted students from all around Europe. His most famous work was known as the Devil's Trill Sonata. Difficult even by today's standards, the Devil's Trill Sonata was a violin solo sonata that required several double-stop trills, which is very demanding. Legend also says that one night Tartini experienced a dream in which the Devil stood at the foot of Tartini's bed and played the sonata, thus inspiring Tartini. It said that Tartini made a bargain with Satan, and the dream was a consequence of this deal. Those who have ever heard his work has described it as the most weird melody ever heard or invented. So was Tartini a product of a deal with the devil, or did his hard work just happen to pay off? Another violinist of the same time of Tartini was Niccolo Paganini. Paganini was born in 1782 in Italy and is claimed by many to be the greatest violinist ever. For some, he was a musical genius. Others say a musical god. And then there are those that say he was a minion of the devil. No man could possess such skills so it had to be the result of a pact with the devil, right? Some even say Paganini's mother was the one who made the deal with the evil one. In exchange for her son's soul, he would become the greatest violinist ever to live. Paganini began learning to play at a very young age, and at age 11, held his first public performance. He then went on to be educated further by renowned teacher and musician Alessandro Rolla. 
Now, supposedly upon arrival to his new teacher, Rolla made the decision to send Paganini on to his very own teacher, Ferdinando Pear. After spending very short time with Pear, Pear decided to do the same and send Paganini on to his teacher, which is Gasparo Goretti, as both teachers felt they had nothing left to teach him. At the age of 15, he began playing solo tours, but soon fell a victim to alcohol. Not only was he supposedly in play with the devil, Paganini was also known as a drunk, gambler, and womanizer. Paganini was one of the first and few who decided to perform without sheet music, which allowed him to move about during his performances. Flailing, contorting, and writhing about, along with his extremely long fingers, earned him the nickname Rubber Man. He was extraordinarily fast playing 12 notes per second. Of course, all these things fueled the rumors of him being in cahoots with the devil. Paganini's appearance alone was striking. Extremely tall, remarkably thin, long fingers, and pale skin, some say he had flaming eyes and a sadistic smile. Now during these times, the violin itself had long been associated with the devil. Add this with Paganini's physical attributes, his seemingly supernatural ability to play, and the fact he dressed in black for his performances, all it took was one crazed fan at a concert in Vienna to claim they saw the devil helping Paganini play to seal this legend in the history books. After the eyewitnesses' account spread, more and more reports started to develop. Claims that fans had seen Paganini doppelgangers at his shows. Some were said to be in the audience, others were said to be on stage, and some were even said to have horns, hooves, tails, and red clothes. One report claimed they saw lightning strike Paganini's bow during a performance. Suffering from several ailments, including syphilis and tuberculosis, he retired from public performances at age 54. However, he went on to teach with his remaining time and died in 1840. Now legend says that right before his death, Paganini turned away a priest who came for his last rites. Some say it was due to his association with the devil. Others say Paganini felt that the priest came too soon and that he had more time left. Shortly after turning the priest away, Paganini died never having received his last rites, and it's because of this the church would not allow his body to be buried on holy ground. However, four years later, Pope Gregory XVI had Paganini's body transported back to his birthplace in Genoa, Italy, where he was laid to rest in La Valletta Cemetery. Now, to further understand the legend of Robert Johnson, let's take a closer look at his life. Johnson was born in Hazelhurst, Mississippi on May 8, 1911 to Julia Major Dodds and Noah Johnson. Julia was married to Charles Dodds and who had been forced out of town by a mob following a dispute with landowners. Julia left Hazelhurst with Robert, but in less than two years she brought the boy to Memphis to live with her husband, who had changed his name to Charles Spencer. 
Robert spent the next eight to nine years growing up in Memphis and attending the Carnes Avenue Colored School, where he received his first lessons in music. It was in Memphis that he acquired his love for and knowledge of the blues and popular music. Robert rejoined his mother around 1920 after she married a sharecropper named Will Willis. They originally settled on a plantation in Lucas Township, Arkansas, but moved across the Mississippi River to commerce in the Mississippi Delta near Tunica and Robinsonville. Now, Robert was remembered by some residents as Little Robert Dusty, but he was registered at Tunica's Indian Creek School as Robert Spencer. In the 1920 census, he is listed as Robert Spencer, living in Lucas, Arkansas, with Will and Julia Willis. A school friend, Willie Coffey, recalled that as a youth, Robert was already noted for playing the harmonica and jaw harp. Coffey recalled that Robert was absent for long periods, which suggests that he may have been living and studying in Memphis. Once Julia informed Robert about his biological father, Robert adopted the surname Johnson, using it on the certificate of his marriage to 16-year-old Virginia Travis in February of 1929. She died in childbirth shortly thereafter. Around this time, the blues musician, Sun House, moved near Robinsonville. House remembers Johnson as a little boy who was a great harmonica player, but a lousy guitarist. Soon after, Johnson left Robinsonville for the area around Martinsville, close to his birthplace, possibly searching for his natural father. Here, it is believed where he learned his guitar style from Isaiah Ike Zimmerman. Now Zimmerman was rumored to have learned supernaturally to play guitar by visiting graveyards at night. This was most likely the truth. Johnson and Ike Zimmerman did practice in a graveyard at night because it was quiet and no one would disturb them. Now when Johnson returned to Robinsonville, he seemed to have miraculously acquired a guitar technique. Sun House was interviewed at a time when the legend of Johnson's pact with the devil was well known amongst blues researchers. He was asked whether he attributed Johnson's technique to this pact, and his equivocal answers have been taken as confirmation. Now, while living in Martinsville, Johnson fathered a child with Virgie Mae Smith. He married Coletta Kraft in May 1931. In 1932, the couple settled for a while in Clarksdale, Mississippi, but Johnson soon left for a career as an itinerant musician, and Coletta died in early 1933. From 1932 until his death in 1938, Johnson moved frequently between the cities of Memphis and Helena and the smaller towns of the Mississippi Delta. On occasion, he traveled much further. In many places, he stayed with members of his large extended family or with female friends. He formed some long-term relationships with women to whom he would return periodically. In other places, he stayed with whatever woman he was able to seduce at his performance. In each location, Johnson's hosts were largely ignorant of his life elsewhere. He used different names in different places employing at least eight distinct surnames. It was because of this that Johnson was known to have an uncanny ability to seduce most any woman he chose and only added fuel to the fire of his legendary crossroad encounter. 
Now, musicians who knew Johnson testified that he was a nice guy and fairly average, except, of course, for his musical talent, his weakness for whiskey and women, and his commitment to the road. When Johnson arrived in a new town, he would play for tips on street corners or in front of the local barbershop or restaurant. With an ability to pick up tunes at first hearing, he had no trouble giving his audiences what they wanted, and certain of his contemporaries later remarked on his interest in jazz and country music. He also had an uncanny ability to establish a rapport with his audience. In every town in which he stopped, he would establish ties to the local community that would serve him well when he passed through again a month or a year later. During this time, Johnson established what would be a relatively long-term relationship with Estella Coleman, a woman about 15 years his senior and the mother of the blues musician Robert Lockwood Jr. Now, Johnson reportedly cultivated a woman to look after him in each town he played in. He repeatedly asked homely young women living in the country with their families whether he could go home with them, and in most cases, he was accepted, until a boyfriend arrived or Johnson was ready to move on. In Jackson, Mississippi, around 1936, Johnson sought out Don Law to record his first sessions in San Antonio, Texas. The recording session was held on November 23rd to 25th, 1936, in room 414 of the Gunter Hotel in San Antonio. In the ensuing three-day session, Johnson played 16 selections and recorded alternate takes for most of them. Among the songs Johnson recorded in San Antonio were Come On In My Kitchen, Kind-Hearted Woman Blues, I Believe I'll Dust My Broom, and Crossroad Blues. His first recorded song, Kind-Hearted Woman Blues, was the most musically complex in the cycle and stood apart from most rural blues as a thoroughly composed lyric. In contrast to most Delta players, Johnson had absorbed the idea of fitting a composed song into the three minutes of a 78 RPM side. Johnson would travel to Dallas, Texas for another recording session with Don Law in a makeshift studio at the Vitagraph Building on June 19th through the 20th of 1937. Johnson did two takes of most of these songs and recordings of those takes survived. Because of this, there is more opportunity to compare different performances of a single song by Johnson than for any other blues performer of his time and place. Johnson recorded almost half of the 29 songs that make up his entire discography in Dallas. Johnson died on August 16th 1938, at the age of 27, near Greenwood, Mississippi, of unknown causes. His death was not reported publicly. He merely disappeared from the historical record, and it was not until almost 30 years later when Gail Wardlaw, a Mississippi-based musicologist researching Johnson's life, found his death certificate, which listed only the date and location, with no official cause of death. No formal autopsy was done, as a dead black man found by the side of the road near a farm. A pro forma examination was done to file the death certificate, and no immediate cause of death was determined. It is likely he had syphilis, 
and it was suspected later by medical professionals that may have been a contributing factor in his death. Several differing accounts have described the events preceding his death. Johnson had been playing for a few weeks at a country dance in a town about 15 miles from Greenwood. According to one theory, Johnson was murdered by the jealous husband of a woman with whom he had flirted. In an account by the blues musician Sonny Boy Williamson, Johnson had been flirting with a married woman at a dance, and she gave him a bottle of whiskey poisoned by her husband. When Johnson took the bottle, Williamson knocked it out of his hand, admonishing him to never drink from a bottle that he had not personally seen open. Johnson replied, don't ever knock a bottle out of my hand. Soon after, he was offered another poisoned bottle and accepted it. Johnson is reported to have begun feeling ill the evening after and had to be helped back to his room in the early morning hours. Over the next three days, his condition steadily worsened. Witnesses reported that he died in a convulsive state of severe pain. Now, musicologist Robert McCormick claims to have tracked down the man who murdered Johnson and to have obtained a confession from him in a personal interview, but he declined to reveal the man's name. Strychnine has been suggested as the poison that could have killed Johnson, but one scholar disputes this, saying that strychnine has such a distinctive odor and taste it cannot be disguised even in strong liquor, and also that a significant amount of strychnine would have to be consumed in one sitting to be fatal. In the 2019 book, Up Jumped the Devil, Bruce Cornforth and Gail Dean Wardlow suggest that the poison was from dissolved mothballs. This was a common way of poisoning people in the rural south, but was rarely fatal. However, Johnson had been diagnosed with an ulcer and with esophageal varices, and the poison was sufficient to cause them to hemorrhage. He died after two days of severe abdominal pain, vomiting, and bleeding from the mouth. Now, the exact location of where Johnson is buried is still unknown. Research suggests Johnson was buried in the graveyard of the Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church near Morgan City, Mississippi, not far from Greenwood. A one-ton cenotaph in the shape of an obelisk listing all of Johnson's song titles with a central inscription was placed at this location in 1990, paid for by Columbia Records and numerous smaller contributions made through the Mount Zion Memorial Fund. In 1990, a small marker with the epitaph resting in the blues was placed in the cemetery of Payne Chapel near Quito, Mississippi by an Atlanta rock group named The Tombstones after they saw a photograph in Living Blues magazine of an unmarked spot alleged by one of Johnson's ex-girlfriends to be Johnson's burial site. More research indicates that the actual gravesite is under a big pecan tree in the cemetery of the Little Zion Church, north of Greenwood along Bunny Road. Sony Music placed a marker at this site which bears Johnson's name. With such a strange and twisted, winded life that Johnson led, it's easy to see how a legend could be formed. Whether through a chance meeting with the devil at a crossroads in Mississippi, or practicing late at night in a cemetery, or just some downright hard work and determination, Robert Johnson is a legend amongst musicians. He blazed trails in the music industry and then went on to inspire bands 
such as Muddy Waters, Eric Clapton, the Rolling Stones, and the Allman Brothers Band. Robert Johnson changed the way of music as we know it today. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. Remember to follow us on social media at facebook.com forward slash the Southern Spectre podcast. Follow us on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash the Southern Spectre. If you'd like to send us a message, leave a comment, or maybe you'd like to be a guest on the show, head on over to anchor.fm forward slash Southern Spectre. Click on the message tab and leave me a message. If you'd like to send me an email, you can send me one at the Southern Spectre Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much, guys. I love you dearly. And remember, don't let the boo hag get you. <laughs>